500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Phil Penny Mitsubishi during May Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, we will accept your credit application. A $200 down payment and a $350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi. Don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. You can win 5000 with our 5K test drive giveaway. Visit PhilPennyMitsubishi.com. To qualify buyers on approved credit, warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only. One entry per household per month. Must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance. See dealer for details. Shut up and sit down. podcast on Sunday. I don't often do them, but I had a terrible, terrible, terrible headache on um, Friday from not sleeping. I've suffered insomnia like um, forever, like literally forever. I'm pretty sure in my past life, I suffered insomnia too. I probably suffered insomnia, my spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it, since we were in the cave. But okay, so this week in fandom, we had some uh, interesting happenings. Um to do with entitlement and um and readers and readers expectations and it it spawned um some serious thinking for me and i I tell everybody I tell everybody no matter what their writing circumstances are whether if they're writing for professional reasons or if they're writing for fan fiction that you cannot be happy as a writer unless you write for yourself if you write for money it becomes a job not a calling and eventually it'll wear you down i speak from experience it'll bog you down and you'll start to hate what you're writing you'll start to hate um the idea of sitting down to write it 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 becomes this this task this this one more thing you've got to do with your day. But when you write for yourself, when you write where you're inspired, you develop a love affair with your calling to be a writer. And I do believe writers are born. I don't believe they're made. I think that you have to have that drive to write. Um, It has to be in there already. You can be taught crafts. You can be taught to dot your I's and cross your T's and put your commas where they're supposed to go. And, you know, you can be taught all those things, but you cannot be taught to be a writer. You either are one or you're not. And if you are one, it doesn't matter if you've never been published. It doesn't matter if you've never shown a single person the words that you put down on paper. You are still a writer. It's not something you need somebody else to tell you. You don't need me to tell you that you're a writer. If you're putting words down on paper, you're a writer, period, end of story, in the discussion. And it took me a long time to get there because I'm, I thought about it once before in a podcast how I didn't used to admit to being a writer. I would, 
you know, skirt around it. I would give them the job that I was doing at the time or not mention it at all and, you know, say I was a housewife or just, you know, just to do anything to avoid admitting that I was a writer. And it wasn't because I was ashamed of what I did, but because it was immensely personal. It was so personal. And writing is very personal. And when you put yourself out there on the Internet as a fan fiction writer, you are exposing yourself to a variety of people who've never looked you in the eye. And it is so easy for some people to hurt you when they've never had to look you in the face. There are a lot of people who can't be cruel to somebody to their face. But these same people can get online and destroy you if they never have to look at you, if they never have to be accountable for what they have done. I mean, the Internet gives this this air of um, the, sh- the shroud of shadow where you can say anonymously all the things you want to say, and it has no impact on you because you've vented your frustration and your anger on some stranger, and they have to deal with the consequences of your assholery, and you can move on. That's what they're doing to you, and that's what, you know, it took me a while to get here to this point where I I don't write for my readers. I write for me, and told, <laughs> I was having a chat with the moderators of the Rough Trade group on Facebook, and we were talking about um, uh, validation and... Um, Original Tempest was in there, and he has a different perspective because all the other mods are, are female, and sometimes getting a male's point of view is, is a really interesting um, game changer. And um, he said, "Well, of course you write. You you, you publish for you you put your stuff online for them to be validated." He didn't say it like that, but that's what he meant. And um, the answer that I gave to him was that no, actually I don't. I do it because I'm vain. I put my fan fiction online because I'm vain, and I assume your people want to read it. That's my assumption. I assume there are people who want to read my stuff, so that's why I have a website, and that's why I have a Tumblr, and that's why I have a Twitter, and that's why I have a Facebook. And I mean, I'm serious. I have the assumption, and in fact, I'm going to tell you how deep my vanity goes. When I joined Tumblr, I was really upset that I only got 100 followers in the first two days. I was like, really? (laughs) And then I realized how stupid I was being, so I walked away, because that was dumb. It was so dumb. Now, I do want to congratulate myself a little bit because currently I have over 300 followers on Tumblr. But it was just like, you know, it was like I have a moment. You know, I had a moment. And it is is pure vanity. It isn't about um, anything other than that. It is absolute 100% vanity. And so, um, but it did take me a long time to get here. There were moments in um, my past when I opened myself up as a writer to people and was literally destroyed. Destroyed. 
And it took me a long time to separate myself and my personal self-esteem from my writing. And some people never get there. Um, And, you know, I don't take criticism from people in fandom, and this is some arrogant shit I'm going to say, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't think most readers are qualified to give me feedback on that level. Tell me you like it, that's fine. I love to hear that. But don't don't tell me what you would do instead, because I don't think you're qualified to tell me how to write. Which I know is ugly. I know, I know that it's some ugly, vain shit, but I don't care. I don't give a sh- I don't care. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge it. That's some arrogant shit, but I don't care. There are people in my life who I give my work to beta because I trust them. And they're going to give me different perspectives and say, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do that? And they ask questions because I invited them to. But if you're not invited to give me beta or feedback, I don't want to hear what you guys say on that front. You can tell me you like it. I love to hear that. That's fine. I actually love feedback. I don't love constructive criticism because I don't think most people are capable of giving constructive criticism. And there is a difference between criticism and constructive criticism. I get constructive criticism from editors and publishers and I don't need it from people I don't need it. Anyways, we're gonna let Jilly come on the air with us and Jilly was um I think Julie has a different perspective on this because she used to be in fandom and then she left and then she came back. So I'm very interested in, in, in hearing her um, her path down this um, uh, this validation thing and learning to not give a fuck. So um, here we go. Julie, you're on the air. Hello. Sorry, I was Hello. on mute. I was just yapping away, and I was on mute. (laughs) That's okay. Share with with us as much as you want to about your previous fan fiction thing and how you came back to fandom, just wherever you want to share. Um, So I started, uh, I mean, I was sort of writing story ideas and stuff since I was, you know, way back as long as I could remember. But I... uh, honestly didn't have the, um, I don't think, the the um, sense of self um, when I first started writing fan fiction to write original fiction. Because even though I had noodled with, you know, I, I'd never heard of fan fiction. So all my noodling was original ideas, but I just couldn't bear the idea of exposing myself that way and letting people see it and, you know, risking putting that out there and getting rejected. So, mm-hmm. you know, a friend presents me with fan fiction one day because I'd been reading a bunch of, like, you know, gay anthologies and stuff, and I really didn't like the quality of the writing. And so she brings me this epic printed fan fiction and says, here, read this, tell me what you think. And uh, I was like, ooh, I really like this. This is much better than anything I've read in print. And uh, and then I was like, oh, I think I can do this. And I started, went from reading fan fiction to being a writer in, like, a month. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually didn't want to be put it out there at first. I was, I was, you know, disinclined to share it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, a friend persuaded me to go down that path, and it was a um, painful path. I think that path was about um, seven years of learning how to develop a thick skin and how to deal with fandom. Mm-hmm. 
because mm-hmm. fandom was very opinionated about everything. <laughs> yeah, they are. That's like the understatement of the decade. <laughs> and I didn't do whips, so I didn't. I put stuff out when I was done. Um, it never occurred mm-hmm. to me to publish as I went, as I was writing, because I was a perfectionist mm-hmm. about editing. Um, mm-hmm. So I never had to get that feedback as I was trying to write and trying to internalize mm-hmm. it, um, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, for me at that time would have been really destructive because it was very destructive um, after the fact. Because, you know, oh, my, sure. my writing my writing um, started with um, technical writing, Um so my validation as a technical writer came in that I got to keep my job. So, right. you know, it, <laughs> and when people criticized me, it wasn't like you made the wrong decision or you did a bad thing or I'd have done it differently. It was this makes no sense, you know. Criticism was like I can't follow this because I did a lot of, like, training manuals and stuff at that point in time. Um so it was just it was just a a world of difference between what people would say to me about you know the training materials I would turn in or the um how to guides or whatever um versus you know this thing that was in so much more intensely personal where I would think I had this notion people would be more polite about it and it was I was really really way wrong <laughs> I was so far off on the right polite front. <laughs> right like people are so nice you about poor me. thing. Technical writing. <laughs> I want to go back in time and kick somebody's ass. <laughs> and that's why I first started internalizing all of this stuff about don't write original female characters. Um, just all of these all of these messages about and this person has to be on top and you know there's all of these these rules that I didn't understand that. I tried to make sense of as a green writer in fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I intellectually, well, this doesn't make sense to me, but um, it's like, well, but these seem to be the rules that everybody's operating under, and I don't understand this agreement reality, but I seem to be a part of it. So it just, that process. I, have, I had a similar experience at, on fanfiction.net. When the first time I posted and they told me I needed a beta, I had no idea what a fucking beta was. I was like, well, what's a beta? And I'll get one. <laughs> I didn't know. And then they told me, and I'm like, wait, there are people who edit your shit for free? That's not how shit works. I was like, I was floored. I had I had no idea. So, yeah. I didn't that know was a different reality either. for me. Really? Yeah, I didn't know what they were either. It was so bizarre. And one of the, several of the mailing, because this is all back in the mailing list days, right? There really weren't a lot of um, fandom archives back then, except maybe fanfiction.net, mm-hmm. which I think started the year after I started writing. And there were rules about, like, you couldn't post if your work wasn't beta read. So I was like, well, i got to get me one of those. And, you know, I was a perfectionist, <laughs> and I was like, so I'm going to get seven. <laughs> so I did. Of course you did. I could just see that. Of course you did. Because if one is good, seven's better. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it really doesn't. So I um, mm-hmm. I got really involved in fandom for a while. Um, like the actual activities of fandom, like forums and message boards and going to cons and stuff. And it just kept like I kept going, where are everybody's boundaries? Where are everybody's boundaries? Nobody has any boundaries. 
and it was very uncomfortable. And uh, my real That's name got That's because they don't have boundaries and they don't respect yours. Right, exactly. And someone outed me who learned my real name. And, uh, you know... My and, mouth just dropped open. Oh. Yeah, it was it was bad. And the thing is, is that I uh, um, I work for, uh, or at the time worked for, um, you know, really big company that had, you know, clauses in our employment agreement that if you do things that embarrass the company, they can fire you for it. Oh, God. So... Um, and I had seen, you know, there was this this one guy who signed up on like one of the alt dot fetish um, news groups, and he used his work mm-hmm. email address, and oh, he got God. fired over it. <laughs> he was I an idiot. He did. I, mean, I mean, who uses their work email address on a fetish board? But whatever. Um. Anyway, uh, all so the I had to get a pick. He picked a fetish board. Wow. That is bored. And so the next thing you know, people are like, and the way I discovered this happened is I go into work one day and I pull something off the printer and I was like, what the hell is this? And it was some email he had sent to the fetish board that somebody had seen and printed out and was passing out at the office. Oh, my God. Oh, So it was God. just it was big drama. Anyway, he did get fired over it. So. Um, wow. So I, I had like a... There was like there was like a whole series of bad events that happened in a pretty short period of time. Um, with the getting outed, I had a friend behave very badly with a celebrity at a con while I was present about me, so that was bad. Um, made me very uncomfortable, and that was actually the the, the moment that I'm like I never want to do anything related to fandom again because um, I was so horrified and I felt so bad for the actor. Um, God, my face is red over here. I'm, I'm I'm all embarrassed and shit for you. Eight years later, I'm embarrassed. It was horrible. It was really horrible. And then uh, I think the, the kicker for me was um, I had kind of stopped writing, but I was trying to go through editing and putting up. I had two betas at that point, one of them I was really close to. And, you know, she was trying to kind of encourage me along with um, – you know, you need to keep keep writing. This is, you know, you really need to, this is really, this is your calling. You need to keep doing it. Um, even if you don't ever show it to anybody else, you need to keep doing it. And uh, I was, she and I were going through some of my works that I hadn't published and trying to finish them, and she died unexpectedly. Oh, God. And I just said, i got to get out of this. I can't deal with, you know, and there was all this drama going on in fandom at that time about, you know, people taking sides on some issue, about people, you know, people's behavior and fandom. There was actually a fandom entitlement thing going on. And um, and so when she died, you know, I was having a real, to me, I was having a real crisis, and people were pulling me into, I was having, you know, the whole thing about me being outed and would it get back to work in some way. Um, one of my good friends, who also was my main support pillar in the writing, had died. And, you know, there was just a lot going on, and and fandom was um, a sucking void that was destroying my soul. <laughs> so I, right. I, I bowed out. I shut down my, my Yahoo groups, my mailing list. Um, I deleted it, and uh, my stuff still exists out there in the ether somewhere because it's on mailing lists that I don't control. But uh, uh-huh. 
I said, you know, never shall that pen name rise again. And um, although, bizarrely enough, I found one of my works plagiarized recently, so that was like, uh, I have no way of dealing with that. So <laughs> what the hell? Oh, we can deal um, with that. <laughs> we can have a campaign of anonymous trolling. What are you talking about? But it's just, you know, so I, I told writing. you I would be an anonymous troll. <laughs> <laughs> the troll response unit. That's right. (laughs) Deploy, deploy, minions assemble. But no, I mean, I think I just cast myself as Captain America in that. That's pretty interesting. (laughs) That's who I think I am, deep down in my soul. I think I'm Captain America, and now all you bitches know. That's right. (laughs) But um, what what was your path back to fandom and linking online and publishing online? Uh, So I... um uh you actually um so so i was i was looking for so i found you through lady holder actually i was looking Mm -hmm. for um um ncis sentinel fusion so this is all very full circle here and i i stumbled across lady holder doing her tony gibbs story um during naked nano Lion Lion Rampart, right? Yeah, exactly. So I stumbled across it, and um, when it was on, it was when she was writing it, so it was on the Nano site. And I didn't, Uh I only vaguely even knew what Nano was, and I still didn't know what a naked Nano was, but it was sort of like, what is this? (laughs) And so I actually found the site like two days before you deleted it, but I didn't know that delete was coming or anything like that. And I hadn't mm-hmm. signed up for the site or anything, and I bookmarked like twenty stories that I'm like, I have to read these. Oh, I'm so <laughs> and sorry. Then I go back and it's like they're <laughs> gone. Everything's gone, and the NCIS story I was reading disappeared in the middle. And so I started uh, reading um, more about the site as opposed to just reading the stories. I started reading more about the site and what the whole thing was, and I'm like, is this really like a protected corner corner of the internet for writers? And I was so intrigued by it that uh, I kind of like just when the next sign-up came, um, I subscribed to the site, and the next sign-up came, I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. And I'd always had this one really crazy fan fiction idea that I wanted to do, but I had never been willing to put it out there in an, in a – in any way, shape, or form, but the idea had always been rat- rattling around in my head because I thought people are going to think I'm crazy. And at you know, finally I decided I'm going to sign up and hope that I don't screw everything up, and I'm going to try writing again. And I hadn't written anything seriously um, in five years at that point. And that was my first nano, which was November of uh, 2013. And... Uh, the, my first story was Emergence. That was the first thing I wrote. I'd wanted to write my crazy dragon thing, and I thought if it if I fall on my face, it won't matter. So that's how I got back to it. Lady Holder. <laughs> I, I want to tell you a story about e- I want to tell you a story about Emergence. Um, and um, this is uh, <laughs> this is really interesting because when I was doing um, 
Naked Nano, and it became Rough Trade. And Naked Nano came from the idea that you were going to write naked. You weren't going to edit. You weren't going to – it was just like that's the premise of of National Novel, Novel Writing Month is just to write and not backtrack, not look back, just keep going forward, forward, forward. And the whole point was to post it as you went. And that's why I called it Naked Nano. And I moved it and named it Rough Trade because Senna, in an offhand comment, said that it was wrote hard and put up wet. And I, it became what it was, and, and so it became Rough Trade. But when um, Emergence hit um, Rough Trade, I, um, I was, I was out. I was out of my house, and my phone started going boom, boom, boom. I mean, it was just like it. I could have actually used it as a vibrator <laughs> because it just kept going off for like I don't know, for thirty or forty minutes. And so I get on and I pick it up, and I have the, the this app on it to tell me when I have new comments, right? And I'm thinking, what has happened to my site? Because I couldn't imagine what could have possibly have happened to my site because Rough Trade wasn't giving me that much traffic, and. I thought, oh, God, you know, Kira went down, people were losing their fucking minds. I just posted a new part of Ties That Bind, maybe, and I freaked out. And I come home, and there's like a 100 comments, and they're all for Jilly's story. (laughs) I was like, well, thank God it's not my shit, because it's not broken. Who are all these people? Who the hell is Jilly James? And so I look her up, and there's not a fucking thing, right? There's not a fucking thing anywhere. There's nothing. There's there's nothing anywhere. Who who is this girl? I go over to Fan Lore. She doesn't exist there. And I've got this sneaky big name fan. That's what I called you. Snuck into Rough Trade, and the traffic went boom. It was like a nuclear bomb went off, and it was crazy. And our traffic doubled overnight when you posted that first part of Emergence. And I thought, oh, my God, if I let this girl know, and she's obviously never been, she's, she's, she's new, I can't let her know, I had no idea of your history. So I'm, I'm trying to hide it, I'm trying to make sure you don't realize how many people are actually reading your shit, because for every comment she got, there were like 50 people on the site reading who weren't commenting. There was at one point on that part of Rough Trade like 15,000 people on Rough Trade. And I was like, what are you assholes doing? And it was it was crazy. It, it was crazy. So she kind of blew rough trade up. And I was like, I don't even know what to do with her. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew the NCIS fandom was that big? I was like, where, where are all these people coming from? But it was craziness. But it was great. I mean, it's a fucking fantastic story. And um, uh, I had to work hard. I had to work hard that rough trade to keep um, – because, you know, there's always an asshole in rough trade. I mean, you guys don't see them. I keep the comments um, moderated, and I don't let anybody who's being an asshole post. I try because when I first did rough trade, I trusted people, and that was a mistake. I trusted people to behave on rough trade based merely on their fear of me. (laughs) That's some vanity right there. And I didn't moderate comments. And one of my writers on Naked Nano, at the time it was Naked Nano, I went to bed, I got up, and there was like a two-page constructive criticism comment on one of the writers and she was so devastated she almost stopped writing completely and that's when I realized that my little corner the only way I could protect it was if I got on the wall so I got on the wall and I picked up a sniper rifle (laughs) 
and that's just the way it's been ever since. Because <laughs> you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what I said. But because people are dumb. Now, I granted, I tore that person a new one. I mean, I called them, I lost my shit, and I rarely ever really lose my shit in fandom, but I'm surprised that email didn't end up on a blog somewhere, because I was vicious. I was four times as vicious to that person as that person was to the writer. Because as big an asshole as you guys can be, I am always going to be five times the asshole you're, you're capable of. I just keep that in mind. But yeah, because anyways. So Jilly blew up my site and that's when I realized I couldn't keep hosting it where I was hosting it because it wasn't robust enough to handle um uh it crashed like four times that month. <laughs> the site. And this is a wordpress.com um site and between Jilly and I think original Timbus was posting his Harry Potter that time and I was doing yep. an episode of Sentinels of Atlantis. Um and it now was you were just doing, like there um, were all these You were doing a unspeakable plot. Was I? Oh God, yeah. okay, yeah that 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 explains a lot actually. Yeah, that was like two hundred K of my life in a single month. I don't even know where the fuck that came from. But what I do think is that um, you challenged me personally because I there was nobody else on Naked Nano or Rough Trade who was prolific as me. So in a lot of ways, when I was doing these challenges, I um, I was slowing down and keeping track with the most productive member of the group. Just because I didn't want to, but you. <laughs> <laughs> you were posting five ten k a day, and I'm like, "What, bitch? Come on!" <laughs> so you were really challenging to me during that event, and it, it, it kind of, um, I don't know, it just woke something up in me. And so I was, I was, yeah. So, but it wasn't like a bad challenge. It was just I hadn't had somebody that um, productive on the challenge before. So, so it was very interesting. Yeah, and people, I think people challenge me privately that there's no way you're writing that much in a day, and I was like, seriously, be be real. When I'm inspired, I can crank out ten to 15,000 words in a day if I can sit still for that long. Some oh, yeah. things are more challenging. Some fandoms are more challenging, and I have to stop and research every five seconds. Um, the Hobbit. Um, but um, I know, right? <laughs> with a fandom I know, it's just like, here it goes. <laughs> Next thing you know, you've written 100K. But, you know, um, I said it before, and I'll say it again. I wrote um, Birth of the Serpent King in three days. Wow. And it's over 100K. I was broken. I, I, I broke my foot, and I couldn't go anywhere, and I couldn't do anything. And my husband had um, brought me supplies, and he had to go to work. And um, he brought me a cooler with drinks and... Um, he came home during lunch to, you know, help me get out, you know, because I had a cast, and he, he didn't want me to fall down the stairs. And so I was stuck in the bed for 10, 15 hours a day. And it got the best of me, so I got my laptop out, and the next thing I know I've um, I've written um, Birth of the Serpent King. And I sent it to the lady holder, and she wrote back and said, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> I was like, oops. 
I have no idea. It was just there. And the same thing happened with War Mages, um, um, that old black magic. It just popped out of nowhere, too. Just boom. But I have a friend who wrote 50,000 words in a single day. Wow. Then they didn't write for six months, which was good because they had plenty of time to edit the book they wrote. <laughs> she had like 40K of it written, and she woke up one morning, and she was really inspired. So she sat down. The next thing she knows, the sun's coming up, and she's done. And it was like 95,000 words that she'd, you know, she'd, she'd finished the novel, and then she couldn't write for six months. But, you know. Inspiration will take you a long, long way. Yeah. No, I can write five to ten k a day. I just don't. Yeah. But I could. You know, it's just the. I mean, every day that would be. Uh, every day for 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 the for the nano month, that's fine. But every day period, it would be. You know, I, I'm sure there are people who would do that, but I I can't. Now my average a day is twenty five hundred words. I think that's yeah, a good can, average. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I mean, some days I manage to crank out, like, you know, 500 and they're all red shirts. But, you know, I figure that's <laughs> <laughs> burning off some hostility and those 500 words are desperately needed. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. And the world burned. <laughs> Sorry, I only worked in my murder file today. <laughs> I have a snark file. I have this one um, story that I work on when I'm mad, and everybody in it is an asshole. It's like the contest, you can be the biggest asshole. Currently, Rodney's winning. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Unless you perhaps throw him in a room with, like, Sheldon and, and uh, Sherlock, then he might have some competition. Yeah, so when I um when I stumbled on Nano, um and and then I, I so I found I found Naked Nano before I found you, your site. And then once, you know, um between you taking down that first nano and um the next one, I kind of like camped on Kiramarcos dot com, you know. I just sort of stayed there. <laughs> I can always tell when someone's doing that, right? Because there'll be like nothing, 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 and then there'll be like Jilly likes, and then there'll be like 15 likes for whoever's <laughs> doing it, you know? Because they're going yeah. through my site and liking pages, like, like, like. You know, I'm like, okay, thanks. Appreciate that. That's so weird. You, you've been on my site for a week. What are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. But I had people thought, and the funny thing is, people did think. I think people did Google me too because they were like, "I can't believe this is your first story." And I immediately was like, "No, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm not trying to give anybody the impression that I've never written before." Uh, you just come out of the blue, it's like Superwoman. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm Captain America, I, you're Superwoman. <laughs> but I hadn't written in a long time, um, so that was like breaking my dry spell. Um, but NCIS then, wasn't your original fandom either, right? No, I was an X Files writer. Yeah, I mean, I wrote in a couple other now, fandoms. I've like, heard l- some a things bit. about the X Files fandom that um, makes me worry about the um, the the whole thing because um, they're doing those uh, that 
revival, six-episode series of X-Files, I'm thinking, great. Why don't you just poke a sleeping dragon? Because I, I've heard some terrible things about the X-Files fandom. Just being oh, real, real terrible. I mean, you know, this, and the Sentinel fandom's full of assholes. I'm not going to lie. But they might be amateurs compared to the people in the X-Files fandom. Or maybe they grew up. Maybe they grew up and there are other fandoms now. And they No, never mind. I just, well, a lot of... That a was lot, a fantasy I was having. A lot of the um, the more prominent X-Files writers, um, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, got tired of the crap. I mean, I can't, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of them are like, I'm done with this shit. And, and they all seem to go to Harry Potter. <laughs> Which, <laughs> at the time, I was like, you know, I read this. Now, wasn't Zant the next X-Files writer? Yes, yes. So she, was, she was X-Files back then. Um, that's when she was. Uh, she she well she wrote a lot of she wrote a lot of X Files stories. She has a huge body of work in X Files. Um, but at the time that I retired from the fandom, I think she was still working on her twenty four seven universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was quite finished at the time that I retired from the fandom. But I could have my dates tweaked. Mm-hmm. But um, but a lot of the the higher the well more well known writers were all jumping ship and going off to write Harry Potter. And I was like, you know, the X Files fandom because of um, the nature of the show and the nature of some of the characters and some of the things that went on on the show and the way the characters they interacted in canon um, really fed into a lot of darkness in the mm-hmm. fan fiction. It was not a fluffy bunny. It's not a fluffy bunny fandom. Um, I mean, there was some fluff uh, for sure. There's always some, but it was a very it was a very uh, it was very dark, so, um, so I just it did not compute to me that all of these X Files writers were going off to write in a kids book. Um, I'm like, <laughs> did they did, did they burn out on death and destruction? And I, I don't understand this. Uh, yeah, but Harry Potter is magic, and there's something <laughs> beautiful about that. And I didn't really get Harry Potter for a long, 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 long time. And actually, the first thing I read in Harry Potter, um, the very, very first thing, was um, I, I told them the answers. There's no way I'm reading anything about kids. That was my I'm not reading children. And so they sent me a, a Snape other character. And I didn't really know Snape that well because I only read the first book at that point, And the character didn't really stick out in my brain. So that was my first deck, and it was actually really well written, but it had nothing to do with any character but Snape, right? It was a complete AU where he leaves and goes off and has a life with some werewolf dude. <laughs> some werewolf dude. <laughs> it was an original character, right? You know, and, he, and at that point, for all I knew, the characters—they were all original characters, you know, as far as I was concerned. Right. But, you know, magic. So I think the that best my... time you could have in fandom is when you find a story that can be read as original fiction. Yeah, there's so much power behind the writer, <clears throat> and it was it, it was a good story. It was very engaging, but I was like, I'm still not ready to read about you know teenagers, I, teen angst. I just I was like, eh. but eventually I clearly got on board. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, <laughs> um, part of that getting on board. That jump. Be, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I started reading other stuff, but I couldn't quite settle into a pairing that worked for me. 
And people were always suggesting, well, read this, read that, read this, read that. And I was like, eh, 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 eh. I'm, I'm just not, it's not, nothing's gelling for me. And then I read Birth of the Serpent King. And I went, really? okay, this gelled for me. So I was like, you know, hey, that I, I wrote Draco. That's actually, um, I re- I wasn't shipping Harry Draco. Um, I wasn't going to ship him. No, no, no. And then I read Turn by Sarah's girl. Is that her name? Sarah Turn. But, um, that's the name of the story. And it's a story about Harry Potter who um, he gets a glimpse of his life if he had chosen Draco over Ginny. Um and he lives in that life, and he falls in love, and then he gets torn out of it and thrown back into his his reality, and um, he has to deal with the consequences of that. And I, I was like, really, really, really. <laughs> I was like, I was just like, she, she, she blew my mind. She really did. And I was like, okay, okay, I see how that goes. But even when I wrote Birth of the Serpent King, I really wasn't a Harry Draco shipper. I had to, like, write myself into it. So I guess I could say that that story kind of gave me a pairing, too. Because <laughs> I really wasn't sure when I was writing it where that was going to go, whether it was just going to be a friendship fic, or if there was going to be um, a romance there. And then um, then there was. And I was like, well, look what happened there. <laughs> That really, you know, because I was, like I said, I even plot Birth of the Serpent King. That is what happens when I pants. Well, pants some more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really deeply uncomfortable with pantsing, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, that that's what happens when I pants. And I wasn't sure about the sex thing with Draco and Harry until I read... I hate to even say the name of this fic. It's fantastic, though. It's fantastic. It's called Big Dick Come Quick. (laughs) I highly fucking recommend it. I really do. Um, But, yeah. It's just one big, filthy, porn story. And it's great. (laughs) great but you know um exploring yourself as a writer and and testing your own boundaries is is super important it um you're you know and birth of the serpent king was a big test for me it it, um, it pushed me in a way that um i was on pain pills and my foot hurt and that stupid dog had knocked me off my fucking driveway and my foot was killing me and I wanted to casually murder my neighbor, and you know, it was just like, okay, I'm going to write this for Harry's a big snake. So I did. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't, um, it's interesting, the interesting parallel here is that I didn't, um, I was never really a Tib shipper. Tony Gibbs wasn't really my thing. Um, I read it sometimes, but it wasn't. But, uh, you know, my OTP gene is completely broken. <laughs> I just don't have one. So I, you know, but but there are things I ship, but I would never call something an OTP. Um, and then um, and then I uh, decided that I was going to make that a Tibbs story. And I went, uh, well, okay, 
this is an interesting experiment. And I, I kind of got myself behind it more the more I wrote it. Uh, I talked mm-hmm. myself into it for that story. I'm not sure I could talk myself into it again. So when you look at feedback, and you get a lot of feedback, when you look at it, what do you take away from it? Um, sometimes I uh, well, there there is there I do enjoy it. Um, it it feels it feels very very gratifying. I mean, it's really the only compensation that fan fiction writers get is is you know the thank you for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate, you know, I've always in my life really appreciated when I do something nice. If somebody says thank you, it's, it's, you know, it, uh, my grandfather would say it's always polite. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's so much um, passive aggressive crap, um, and, and I learned the passive aggressive in the X Files fandom because so many of the. Um, um, rules on the mailing list that I was on were like you know no they did have no criticism rules so people learned how to phrase things in ways mm. that sounded positive but clearly weren't or were trying to encourage you nudge you into doing things a slightly different way or they would make a prediction about your story that really was so not in line with anything you had written and it felt like they were subtly criticizing what you had done or so, interjecting uh, yeah. themselves into your work? Yes. Like just trying to get in there and make you write what they want you to write? Mm-hmm. And I don't like being manipulated. I don't like that feeling. I no. never like that feeling. I don't like people getting passive-aggressive with me. Um, and so I – and maybe sometimes I wonder if I'm a little sensitive to it. Actually, I see it when it's not there. Uh, but I, I feel like about um, 40 to 50% of feedback to me has – tones of something that make my eyebrow twitch. You know, I just kind of get that look. I wish, I wish, I wish, I hope. Please write more. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you wrote this. When I you see that, all I can think to myself is, I'm so glad you wrote this instead of this. They just They, they just leave off the rest of it. So that it doesn't look like they're being negative. I'm so glad you wrote this Harry Potter and this soulmate bond instead of more ties that bind. So they cut off at the Harry Potter and the soulmate bond so they don't get bitched at. But it's 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 all in the context. It's it's all there. You know, it's 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 all in the context. So I totally get what you mean, and I agree that a lot of times the the feedback looks positive, but it really isn't. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there's this, um, I love it when people truly get what I'm doing. I mean, that feels mm-hmm. the most like, it's like, you know, you connected with someone on a, like a, on a creative level that it's like you had a vision and it feels really good to feel like you conveyed that vision so well that some complete stranger got your vision. And that feels like job well done, you know? Yeah, and, it is. It is, you know, so that feels really good, um, and I and I do value that very highly. Uh, just and I value it when people say, 
Um, I value every thank you, too. I really do appreciate everybody who writes and says thanks or I love this or whatever. Uh, But there's a lot of, and it's one of the reasons why I don't do whips, is because sometimes some of these comments are more insidious than others. And as much as I think I've gotten really good uh, years and some really bad experiences at tuning people out, some stuff sinks in. You know, it just kind of gets in there. And as much as you don't want it to, like someone telling me, you know, the person who told me that emergence was thinly veiled rape fic, um, uh-huh. I, I, I internalized that way more than I wanted to. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially that. I mean, that's like the worst thing somebody could have said to me was that, you know, that that, that, that was, and that was clearly negative feedback. But there's also positive feedback that is that that I internalize, and in a way, it's like, oh, you know. So, it, you know, I try well, to try to block that crap out. And sometimes when I'm when I'm in a writing mood, I don't read comments on my site um, at all when I'm trying to get writing done. It so. isn't a good idea. It isn't really a good idea. I remember getting a um, piece of feedback. Uh, I was four or five posts into Ties That Bind, and I'd already gotten a lot of crap for Ties That Bind. Um, I knew I would, and I expected it. I didn't expect this, and it was couched like the most positive thing ever because they said to me that they were really happy to find a well-done allegory of social slavery. Ew. And I wrote back to them and told them to never read my stuff again. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. It was the first thing that came out of my mouth. I was like, what? Are you serious? That's not what I'm writing. And a lot of times people will inject things into your work that are just not there. And then they expect you to warn for the things they see that you didn't even write. Like when I was asked to warn for political themes. Really? Fuck you. <laughs> That's just stupid. <laughs> the the when they when they interpret things that are not there, that sometimes is the stuff that bugs me almost the most, more than the outright and getting praised for something that you didn't do. <laughs> that is uh particularly insidious because it's like, whoa. Is that in there? <laughs> I didn't. It wasn't even in my subconscious. I don't think, but somebody read that between the lines, and like, how could that be? So I, I particularly dislike the "You are so wonderful, you did this," and I go, "Ew!" I did not. And he just do kind that. of sees up inside and goes, "I didn't do that." Please tell me I didn't. Yeah. And then I usually run off. Yeah, and I didn't do that. And go, did I do this? Did I really did I do, do this? this? <laughs> Do you see this or this? I must have asked 15 different people. I'm not going to lie. Is Tyson buying slavery? <laughs> Am I writing a slavery allegory? I must have driven Lady Holder crazy. <laughs> but the people I do not ask that question of ever, I don't go to my general readers and ask that question. <laughs> no, because you're going to get 5,000 comments that you don't want. No. I actually think when, yeah, I, when I, mean, I see authors, when I see authors online polling their readers, it just gives me hives because I'm like, oh, you're just splitting a wrist. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, really, I mean, you're just you're just opening yourself up to you're just you're taking you're taking off a bulletproof vest in the middle of a gunfight. That's what you're doing. <laughs> you're bringing you're bringing a pin to a to a sword fight. Come on, now, come on now, come on. You you really don't want the answers to those questions from the masses. You really don't, because that one asshole who made you think that's in there, he's in there. He's going she or he or what it. They're gonna say it. In public, on your thread, and they're going to say, oh, and then then there'll be 15 assholes that'll come along and go, oh, you know what? I never thought about it that way. That's true. And then that asshole has validation, and you have none. <laughs> Just putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, I did, I did all so, the work. Why should they get all the validation? <laughs> Right. So what's the difference between um, – because, you know, you talk about – you say – yeah, I mean, I tell readers I, – I, I tell other writers, don't seek validation from your readers because you're opening yourself up. Because they will – you know, you'll, you'll have this group of people that will be so intensely positive of you, and it only takes one to turn – and that entire situation shifts, and then suddenly you have a mob that's really unhappy with something you've done, and they feel like they have the right to tell you, because all along you've opened yourself up to their to their validation. So, but then you tell a writer this, and Jilly mentioned this earlier, you tell a writer, don't seek validation from your readers, but does that translate into not wanting any kind of feedback? I'm asking you. <laughs> and it, oh, it's, 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 you're, you're asking. So it's it's not the same thing yeah. at all. And I I have noticed there's this um um this trend, and if people feel this way legitimately, but it, it's fine. You know, if that's legitimately the way you feel about it, that's the thing. But there's becoming this feedback shaming thing. It's sort of like if you're a writer who likes feedback, you're doing your writing for the wrong reasons, and well, you know, I, 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 anybody who tells me I'm writing for the wrong reasons, I'm kind of inclined to tell them to kiss my ass because no one's inside my head and knows what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But yeah, they can um, kiss my ass too. And, and there's no wrong reason to write. You just gotta write for what's comfortable to you. Mhm. I think I think if that you want to write for money, then you write the fuck for money. You, you get in there and you own that shit. Yep. And if you want to write for <laughs> feedback, just be prepared for the consequences. But if you, right. it's it's fine to say I write for me. I write what I want to write, and I really enjoy feedback too. And yeah, you know, there's there should be no shame in admitting that you like hearing from your audience. Um, and yet, I do see I've seen posts on Tumblr and, and various places about you know you're writing for the wrong reason because you like feedback. Um, but if you expect I think this this trouble, especially newer writers get into, is that their personal sense of self, because you're very wrapped up in what you write. Writing is intensely creative, and you can't help but be emotionally connected to it. And when your sense of self is wrapped up in what people say about what you have produced, that's really dangerous, because you are counting on... You're counting on not just feedback, but that it being positive. And if 
your sense of self is tied up in what people think of what you've done, then 10 good comments is not going to offset the one flame. A hundred good Not even a hundred would. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely so, not, because you get so wrapped up in that approval. Um, I like comments. I'm, I'm not going to say I don't. I mean, I enjoy If I didn't like comments, I wouldn't have comments enabled. I would just say no. I can turn that shit off of my WordPress if I wanted to. Obviously, I don't. I've got close to a million words and comments on my Cura site. Um, I even keep track of it. Duh. <laughs> I almost got a hundred. I almost got a million words. Almost. It's close. We're like, I'm not going to say because I don't want anybody to inflate it. Uh, I want to earn those one hundred, those one million words, honestly, in my feedback. But um, I, uh, <clears throat> I don't. You know, sometimes feedback is is immensely. Um, personal and it can you know i joke about this now but original tempest uh left me a piece of feedback on ties that bind um years ago and i read it and i cried because it was just like the most amazing piece of feedback i've ever gotten um for that series because it was really great to have somebody come in and say i see what you've done here and it's amazing and i understand what you were doing because a lot of times when you're working on a project and you you weave these themes and these ideas into your story and no one gets it you're like "Eh, okay fine you know enjoy the porn um but then you come across this one reader who really epically gets what you did and they tell you and you're like hell yeah (laughs) and that's like a big moment as a writer and i was so pleased have someone genuinely get what I was doing that I cried. And that's happened once or twice before where I was just like, dude, really? You got it. You know, I'm so excited. Like, when I I had this big, huge theme running in Sentinels of Atlantis that I'm not going to tell you about because if you don't get it, you don't deserve to. Um, and when somebody gets it, I'm like, dude, internet fist bump. <laughs> you go that was awesome I'm, I'm really glad you paid attention because there are parts of sentinels of atlantis that run through the entire episode arc of the first season that you know you get payoff from an event in episode one you get the payoff in episode 20 you know and so and people who get that it's amazing the feedback is valuable but you can't invest yourself in it because, you know, honestly, if um, because I have invested a little bit in that particular piece of feedback, if he turned around and told me he hated something that I did with Ties That Bind, and uh, it would really upset me. <laughs> was, I'm telling you right now, Original Tempest, it would really upset me, so don't do that. <laughs> because I did allow myself to invest in his approval. when you allow that kind of investment with people who are strangers and I don't really consider Original Tempest a stranger because I've known him online for a while and I chat with him and he's a moderator on Rough Trade but you know when you let yourself invest in other people's opinions you give them the ability to hurt you and if you're a very new writer the ability to have, you know, to give somebody that kind of access to you is um, like like you said very dangerous 
And it also, um, you start to see, a couple people have mentioned this in chat just now, is um, it starts to send you down a path when you're over-invested in um, what your readers think um, for your for your own personal validation. Not just validating the story, but validating your, it's almost like validating your existence. Simple, it's so extreme. Um, if you start getting into behaviors that are really um, not good, like holding your ho- your story hostage for comments or chastising your readers for not being commenty enough or not giving you... Somebody had gotten feedback from a writer. They'd left a, thank you, this was lovely, I'm looking forward to the next part thing. And the, the author wrote them back and said, if you can't bother saying something useful, don't bother commenting or something of that nature. I remember that. I remember that so distinctly. I wanted to go over there and rip their story to pieces to give them some constructive feedback. But I didn't. I refrained from being a troll. Yes. I did too. I was like, I so wanted to go and say something bad. But really? Because I, yeah. I can go over there and help you out with that. If you, if, you, if you would like some productive feedback, I'll be happy you to go. help you out. Because there's no need to be an asshole on any side of the fence. On either side of the fence. You don't need to be an asshole as a reader, and you don't, well, I'm a kind of an asshole as a writer. But I am never mean to people unless they're mean to me first. I am vengeful. I, I don't deny that. But I have never copped an attitude with a reader who didn't start it. I'm going to give you the theme of my family. Don't start none, won't be none. Word. (laughs) (laughs) That's a minion motto. Because there's another thing that happens when you get over-invested in your... And this one's really painful, so I'm warning the writers out there. This has happened to me. I know it's happened to Kira. Um, I'm sure it's happened to a lot of the writers who've been writing for a while. Um, If you're very, very invested in what your readers have to say, when the reader writes you to tell you that your work is their reason for living or some such thing around that, it will take you to such a bad place, you know, and you just... Start practicing your boundaries <laughs> with your readers early on. That's my advice because that day will come, and it's excruciating if you're not prepared for it. It is. It is very. It is an extremely painful moment. Um, one of the most painful moments I've ever had in fandom is I had a longtime reader, and I actually the first time I spoke of her on my podcast, I cried. Um, her name was Lise, and um, she lived in Canada, and she wrote me beautiful feedback, and um, I was so, uh, I loved her feedback. I, I loved to get it, so when I first started posting Ties That Bind, she didn't say anything, and I was like, oh my God, is Lise upset? Because <laughs> she's not saying anything, and I thought she would really enjoy it, and then like the third or the fourth um, story in that series, she wrote me this big, long um feedback telling me how much she loved it and how great it was and I was like oh great Lise likes it and I went on about my life and Lise was an older woman she's in her 80s um and she was just lovely and she wrote this beautiful feedback and then about a year ago she emailed me and told me she was dying and um then I found out she did die and I thought to myself I am an asshole because I didn't finish Ties That Bind for her and it was her favorite 
And she died, and, and now when I finish it, she's not here to read it. And it was just, <clears throat> I know, I know that she did not mean to put this kind of burden on me because there was nothing ever in her emails or in her comments that was anything involving self-pity. She had this great life, and she told me about how she, you know, she did this and this and the World War, and, you know, she was in the World War Two, and all these things that she told me, and she just, she just really... Uh, it was just a really beautiful relationship to have with a reader. So I know she wouldn't want me to be upset about it, but I know the day I post the final part of the SGA archetypes that bind, I'm going to be really upset that she's not here to read it. She isn't the first reader I had die. I had another one die early on. Um, she... Uh, loved what might have been, and she read it, and she read it, and then one day I'm on Facebook, and her husband posts a note on her Facebook and says she died unexpectedly of a heart attack. And I thought, dude, why'd you go and do that? You know, so I don't know. So, so when you get invested in your readers, you do open yourself up to them, and um. I do I do look forward to the day that I finish Ties at Bind, but also I know it's going to be bittersweet because I think that um, she was probably the biggest fan of that story. There was um, her investment in it and just she wrote me these long emails um, about how it made her feel and, and what she thought. And um, it was just, it, every bit of it was just genuine and, and beautiful. And, and now she's gone and she had kidney failure. She was too old for a transplant, they told her. That's so sad. It's, it's and very in that sad. Situation, and, and, that's, and that situation where, you're, where, where the person, the reader is entirely appropriate, like they haven't done anything wrong, uh, haven't, you know, they haven't tried to manipulate you in any way, um, it's just you, you can't be prepared for when that happens. Um, and no. It, 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 it's just one of those. It's one of those things that you know. With anybody, you open yourself up to that. When you lose them, it it hurts. It's painful, and you do get really connected with some readers, and um, there is a bond there. And when they're gone, um, there's a void, and you can't ever help but you know think of them in context of certain things. You know, and then there's also you know. You know, I've gotten I've gotten feedback that was a little bit more along the lines of, you know, if I hadn't had this story to read, I'd have killed myself last night. Oh God, I've gotten that. Oh God, I've gotten. And I just you don't know what to, um, to do with that. I don't know what to do with that other than you know. You know what I say to those, and I've gotten them. I, I always say I'm really glad my work could be for you, could be there for you, in a very difficult moment. But what else can Which you is, say? Yeah, that's kind of where I go too, you know, because I just it's. But if you are, if you're not prepared to distance your, because what you can do is you can start worrying: is Stop. this next piece, this next story, enough to keep going someone to up, alive? You get this crazy, or is it going to upset going them? Is it going to upset, is it gonna them? upset exactly. them? Exactly. Yeah. Um, is it going to make them mad? Or do, do, I, do I need to write this next? Because are they that emotionally vulnerable? I mean, yeah, because you can get yourself stupidly invested in a stranger in a way that you don't need to be. Um, 
And then, you know, also you get feedback where someone says, you know, my my mom recently had a stroke and I spent the last three days in the hospital and all I had with me was my tablet and I read your stories and it really kept my mind off what was going on. So I really appreciate the fact that you put your stuff online. It was really, it was just the distraction that I needed. I'm like, that's great. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm, I hope your mom's okay. <laughs> and that's, you know, they're, they're not trying to manipulate you. They're just trying to let you know that during a moment when they were having some really fucked up shit go on, you were kind of like their sanctuary. And I don't mind being, I don't mind that kind of feedback. But being told that your work and, like, your your site was the reason they didn't kill themselves the night before, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I hope my hosting doesn't go down tonight. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You call GoDaddy. Look, dude, you need to quit my site back on right fucking now because I've got somebody in Canada who might kill themselves. (laughs) You you just, it's not funny. It isn't, it's, it's not funny. You just get freaked out. It's funny tragic because it's it's just one of those things that eventually you have to be prepared that this is going to come your way. And yeah, so yeah. Which is why your strong sense of self and ability to step back from your readership is really important. You know. And um not only can they make you upset that way, um they can make you mad. And mm-hmm. what I've learned about myself as a writer was when I'm mad, I can't write at all. So when you let somebody impact you so much you can't write, that's a problem. No matter who problem. they that's, are, whether that's why I don't read feedback on my site when I'm writing on a rough trade ter- challenge. Now, rough trade feedback I know is safe, right? Um, but on my site, I actually avoid it, um, and I AO3 goes into a folder anyway that I check periodically. Um, but I avoid the other because uh, you know people do piss me off several times a week. I mean, it's not like it's an, an infrequent event. Um, I know, right? You know, I got cuckoo. I the email I got today. Oh, God. Oh, God, yours today was horrible. And then I got that lady yesterday who told me I needed to keep my secondary characters consistent so she would know how to write them. I, just, like, I don't know. Says that's your job. <laughs> you tell like, them to kiss my here, ass. I'm not here for you She's to copy even off qu- my paper, ding dong. She can't kiss your ass. She's not good enough. She'll have to kiss mine instead. <laughs> That's just so stupid. But the, the the email I got today was something like this. Um, Hi, I was reading your summaries for your next Rough Trade Challenge, and I saw that you're writing two slash stories. I'm really disappointed because I thought you'd gotten away from that garbage. Oh. That's what they said. I so want a now, red shirt, a somebody that said that. There is a gif on my Tumblr right now of Mila Kunis saying, go fuck yourself. And that is the gif I sent them. <laughs> I just sent them that picture. I didn't say anything else. Just sent them that picture. Because, like, fuck it. Mila can talk for me instead. That's just great. <laughs> go fuck yourself. What is that? But people are crazy like that. People are just crazy like that. And the thing is, is if I was invested in that kind of um, feedback, I would be really upset going into rough trade. 
I would be worried about stories. Is anybody going to like them? But I'm not, and I don't care, and they can kiss my ass. So, but I wasn't always here. I used to be over there where I would be a fucking mess. And, you know, that post I put on Tumblr about, you know, motherfucker, and I'm not really mad. I, the last person to really piss me off was Brad. And that's not because of what he said about my writing. It's because he called me a specimen. (laughs) He called me a diva and a specimen. And that made me mad. The specimen part, not the diva part, because I don't give a shit. I would and his writing device stupid, don't but he called me a me specimen. Asshole. Right? So that pissed me off, but his he writing totally, advice totally did de- not piss me off. He totally dehumanized you. That's just not good. And I, but I think that, you know, even though people don't say it, that's the thing about readers that kind of go off the rails, is they do dehumanize you. They forget that there's a person in there. Um, right. They just see you as a source of entertainment that they can poke and get a treat. Repeatedly. You know? Poke, poke, <laughs> poke, poke. And so I, you I post a hundred... I posted um, Birth of the Serpent King, and I want you to know... And, and that was 106K, something like that. I don't know, 115. It's a lot of fucking words, okay? So I posted the Birth of the Serpent King, and it was a surprise. No one knew, no one but Lady Holder and Chris even knew it was coming. It was like a gift from on high. I'm serious. It was like totally unexpected. It wasn't even a work in progress at the time. And then not three fucking days later, I get a note on my site through my contact form telling me they wished I would update more often. There's just no pleasing people. There's no pleasing. I know, right? I know, right? Since since Rough Trade ended, um, especially since you know, especially since the site clean off, um, but even before that, from the moment that you you know we stopped posting, um, I've been just like every day. It's some some avenue of someone asking me when the emergent sequel is coming, and um, you know, I actually posted and I got. Three, I think three today, about emergence, and um, I, I posted on Tumblr um, a couple hours before the show about you know that you know I'd like readers to imagine that they had a hobby, you know, besides fan fiction, like with cosplay or, or woodworking or model building or something, and imagine that you're trying to do this in your spare time and it's your hobby, it's your thing. And 50 or 100 people keep have asked you, when is your bookcase going to be finished and ready for us to ooh and all over? Or when is your costume going to be ready? Or whatever it is. And I said, you know, the first time that somebody asks, you might be flattered. Maybe you'll be flattered the first five times. But when 50 people or 100 people have poked you about your unstained bookcase, you're going to lose interest in finishing it. And... And I think the, I don't remember exactly how I said that you may think it's a comp. I ended it with like you may think it's a compliment, but I'm here to tell you that it's not complimentary um, because it's not. It's not a it's, it's not a compliment to just constantly ask for more. Thank you is a compliment. I enjoyed it as a compliment. Whatever, that's all lovely. But more, 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 more is not complimentary. And I get people in their head 
are thinking that asking for more, not all people, but a lot of people probably do think asking for more is a way of saying I enjoyed this. But it's a way of saying I enjoyed this that's demotivating. And I think part of the reason people do that is because they don't see a person on the other side of the screen. No. They don't. They they see like like you said as a source of entertainment. Um, they see a computer screen. They see a name. It's not even your real name, and they know it. And it's like they don't hold themselves accountable for the things they say to you because it's not like you're real. You don't live next door to them. They don't see you at the post office. They don't. They have no genuine interaction with you, and so demanding more from you doesn't bother them at all. They don't even feel guilty about it. Nope. And this is why you see, and what this sparks in authors um, and writers out there is. You see a writer put up a post, and I find this behavior to be it both it both drives me crazy as like you know I just don't want to see it, but i it it also it enrages me that authors feel like they have to do this, which is the five hundred or thousand word author note explaining why they haven't been able to update, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, don't do that. Don't apologize to your readers for not updating. I used to do that shit like once or twice. I don't remember. I did it once or twice. I deleted all those posts from my site because I realized I don't fucking owe anybody an explanation as to why. The only thing worse, I think, than apologizing to your readers for not updating is withholding your fic because you haven't gotten enough comments to feed your ego. And one is an ugly behavior, and the other is a tragic behavior. And don't do either. <laughs> because, no, right? Because you know, people will lay their lives out online to try to, and you can see them begging. You can see them begging for sympathy for the hell that I am going through. And what what I read in between the lines there is I have been harassed every day for the last three months while I'm dealing with deaths in the family and sick pets and kids going off to college, and they're explaining all this, and you don't owe your readers your life, and you don't owe them an explanation. No, you don't, but you don't get there immediately. So if you're one of those writers who's not there, don't take what we're saying as criticism or that you're a failure, or that you need to work on it. Work on it at your own pace. Get here when you can, and when you do. Um, If it takes a year, if it takes ten years, that's your business. It's not mine, it's not Jilly's, it's, it's nobody else's business but your own. But you have to, I think, in order to be healthy as a writer, to get to the point where you don't write for anybody but you. If you make yourself happy, that's all you need as a writer, unless you're writing for money and then you're writing for market and you're writing for agents and you're writing for editors and publishers, and that's an entirely different situation. But even when you're writing for publication and you're writing for money, for editors, you're writing for agents, you're not writing for readers. 
Yeah, it's up to the um, editors and the, to determine what what the reader market is. Not up to you. Um, so if you make them happy, end of they story. know what readers want, and um, yeah. publishers put out what readers want and readers buy. And a lot of people, a lot of readers just buy. They just buy, 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 and they don't even pay attention to what they're buying. So you can't. Try to make your readers happy because if you invest yourself in making your readers happy, you'll never be happy and you won't grow as a writer. Every day I learn something new about myself as a writer. I push my limits. I I grow. I challenge myself. I accept failures about myself, and I explore successes, but none of that happens overnight. It, it, it doesn't even happen. I mean, I've been writing for 25 years, so don't compare yourself to to anybody. Don't compare yourself as a writer to me or to Jilly or to Lady Holder or anybody else you might come across, Stephen King or Roberts. Yeah, I'm putting us in that, in, in that group. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Just don't compare yourself to anybody. Because you're going to be the writer you were meant to be, not the writer I was meant to be. Because if we were all the same, it would be kind of fucking boring. Really? And it's interesting that um, I think that, you know, I, I think if there's, if there's one we've talked we kind of have talked before about how um certain things are contagious in fandom um so it's sort of like you see people explaining why they haven't posted so you explain why you haven't posted or right. you know you see you see certain way of oddly formatting something and so you do it too you know so things 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 are contagious and the only thing that I would hope that would be contagious from anything that um, I do or that, you know, that happens here, that my hope is that what's contagious is author empowerment, that you feel like you are learning what you need to, to, to stand up for yourself and be strong and empowered and, you know, do it your way. And that your yeah, power comes from you. inside you. Your power is an internal source. It isn't external. It's, it's internal. Um, <clears throat> it, it can't be external because something that is external can be taken away from you. But if you build it on the inside, you can protect it and nobody can take it from you. But if you're getting it from another source, that source can disappear. And then you'll be hurt, destroyed. I've seen writers destroyed in fandom. I've seen writers destroyed professionally um, in writing groups. I've, I've seen it happen because they invest themselves in the opinions of others. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who it was. Um, it was in April. And um, it it wasn't apparent from anything going on on the site, but it was in the Rough Trade group, and somebody said, um, I have, I fell on my face, basically, 
and uh, I'm going to learn from this, and I'm, I'm not going to keep working on this story, something to that effect. I fell on my face with it. I learned something. This is what I learned, and next time it's going to be different. And I thought that was, like, the most empowered thing I had seen is, you know, because that was one of the things that had drawn me to Rough Trade was the ability to have a safe place where you could fall on your face and experiment and go, wow, okay, that didn't work. Now, I haven't I haven't run into a didn't work yet or that I couldn't power through yet, but part of that's my own neuroses, not because there weren't, you know, oppor- moments when I went, this wasn't a good idea. Um <laughs> I failed. I failed epically at the Alpha Omega um, trope. I didn't see it coming because I write BDSM. I I have no problem with the paranormal elements, and I mix it with werewolves, thinking that would be easier. But I failed at the Alpha Omega, and I didn't see it coming. I had my plot worked out. I did my plotting and my casting, and everything was beautiful. My little project file was great. And then I wrote, and I wrote, and I I paused and thought, I literally, and I, you know, out of all of my abilities, I would say that my ability to write sex is probably A+. I am an A-plus sex writer. I I have good and bad qualities in my writing. I think I write excellent dialogue, and I write fantastic fucking sex. I I do. It's great. I thought, okay, and I'm doing this, and I can't write the sex. I can't, and I'm like, and that's when I realized I had a problem with the Alpha Omega trope, and I had actually read quite a bit of it, and I didn't realize I had, I mean, I did, and then I can't even look at it. I can't look at that story. Which is terrible because I had all that great mythology about where they came from, and it's sad. But I didn't know until it was until I was there. Yeah, and to be able to say I it didn't work, I think is just really powerful, and to say I'm going to put this aside and move on to the next thing and I learned something because learning about your craft and what you are as a writer is invaluable. If it took you, you know, if you spent if you spent 10,000 words learning that, you know, that was 10,000 words well invested, you know? And I I just was really impressed with and I wish I could remember who I actually wouldn't say the name if I could remember because I wouldn't put somebody um um, I wouldn't put somebody on the spot that way uh, on the radio show, but um, I wish I could remember who it was. But anyway. Um, I know who you mean. I saw that yeah. too. And I was just really impressed that they were like, you know, I fell on my face and I'm picking myself up and try again next time. And, you know, I... I struggled with one of the one of the one of the April ones, so I I really I really felt that uh, you know, and I changed course mid 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 challenge because what I had planned wasn't working for me. So right, um, and sometimes you don't know that until you're in the middle of it, and yeah. and, and, and in a challenge environment that's very um, uh, difficult to move past. Um, I didn't move past it; you did, and sometimes people you don't. And it's perfectly okay if you don't. You don't have to 
you don't have to keep torturing yourself, I guess I would say. Yeah. There's no point. I mean, when your writing becomes torture, um, that's that's not the goal. That's sort of anti-goal. And that's why I changed. That's why I had to completely change what I was writing um, midstream. And it's a good thing I have such a long, you know, um, history with pantsing, is because I had nothing worked out for the last half of the story. Once I decided to change (laughs) midstream, I was like, I don't know what I'm. um, I'll just wing it. Winging is good. I've done this before. Winging. I had to quit April because I had tests, had stupid cancer tests. Everything worked out fine, but I had um, some serious um, things and I had a biopsy and sucked ass. I got a scar on my boob. It's not great. Actually, my scar is fading. I've been using stuff on it. I see it. I know it's there. It's a weird thing. Um, and you kind of lose track, I think. Well, when you're having life, emotional stresses. Yes, real life emotional stresses. Uh, if I'm going to write during that stuff, it's a very different writing. Like, I couldn't pick up emergence and work on it when I'm really under a lot of emotional stress because the whole tone of the story would change. So I would have to work on something completely new. <laughs> because, you know, this is one of my, uh, and it, this is maybe this is just my my desire to have my writing be as good as it can be because that's what I want. Um, but I don't consider my readers, but I do consider the readability. And to me, I lose readability of the story when, and, and some people would argue that is considering the readers, but... It's to me. This is a distinction there. Um, I think you're and, considering yourself as the reader because I'm my first reader. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I read Ties I, That Bind upward of fifteen times before you guys ever saw it. <laughs> I can't before yeah, even Lady Holder saw it. I don't think I read Emergence that many times uh, before it was the final version, but it was maybe ten. And that's you know that's, that's a lot of investment, and and so I do consider the readability of my work. And when it changes tone, emotional tone abruptly, that's that's mm-hmm. a readability issue to me. And so that's why I don't work on um, stuff that's in flight or sequels to stuff that's in flight because uh, when I'm having you know really bad struggles, so um, it shows up everything about you. Everything you are, everything you will be, everything you've done, everything you've experienced bleeds out into your work, and often you don't even know it. That's why it's so personal, and and that's why your work is so intimately connected to you, because everything that you are is in it, whether you mean for it to be or not. Exactly. Kemp asked a question that I don't know if that's directed to me or you, but I'll answer it, then you can answer it, or whichever. He's asking mm-hmm. there's a whip for yeah. stress writing. Um, I do have some whips that I use for stress writing, but they would never see the light of day because stress writing for me is very usually very dark. Every once in a while it's very fluffy. Like I'll de-age everybody and, you know, have babies running around. But usually it's very dark, and uh, the stuff that I write that's very dark, nobody ever sees but me. Um because a lot of my X-Files writing was also very dark, but I, I, I got over that. <laughs> I, I got over it. I got over, she, she I got got over that back then. 
did. I got better. She got better. Yeah, she got better. Um, I, I went to do a lighter, I have a fluffier fandom, you know, like Criminal right? Minds. Like, yeah, because Criminal Minds is fluffier than X Files. That's great. That's that says a lot about X Files. I um, do. I have a, uh, a stress writing work in progress. As a matter of fact, I do. Um, I uh, call it Big Gay Love in Canada, and um, there's an excerpt up on Evil Author Day. And it's, when I am foul-tempered, all of my characters become vicious assholes. And so that story is full of assholes. I mean, everybody in it. Everybody in it is a smart, snarky bastard. And um, it's called Big Gay Love in Canada, and I'm not sure actually what it will eventually be called, um, but uh, yeah, so I do have one, and um, when I'm mad, I work on it. I like Big big Gay Love in Canada. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that That's my stress fic. <laughs> of course it's about you, Original Tempest. <laughs> You're the biggest gay love I know in Canada. <laughs> oh, so there have you been, know, yeah. Um, there have been a lot of uh, questions. As, as we get, anytime we get closer to um, Rough Trade, um, we always get new writers or people who haven't written as much. And uh, I probably work with, I don't know, five or six writers, Um behind you know in behind the scenes and email and private message and stuff and uh and then we see some questions come up on um on the facebook group or or wherever and it's people um is this okay and i don't mean like in terms of the challenge but like is this okay in writing is it okay to do this is it okay to use adverbs because you know there's a lot of controversy around the use of adverbs and i mean that came up one day somebody asked is it okay to use adverbs um and people are very, I think newer writers are very uh, insecure about and uncertain mm-hmm. about some things. And sometimes even more, you know, writers who've done this several times are still very uncertain about what they should be writing. And, you know, there's, the funny thing is it's like it's like that double-edged question because there's the you should write what you want to write thing and then there's the answer that if you want to improve your craft you know you want to maybe look at doing read this and think about it or something like that so right. we kind of were talking about that earlier a little bit before the radio show about um you know just write what speaks to you and do do write what speaks to you absolutely but also Learn from yourself and push your boundaries and read. <laughs> read, I, read, read, read. Um, you can't grow as a writer if you don't read other writers. And this is not about plagiarism or copying somebody or or it's about learning and recognizing how other people do things because you're absorbing all that information whether you know it or not and it will impact you like I'll give you a perfect example 
while I was writing the bulk of what might have been, I was also mainlining the In-Depth series by J.D. Robb. And you will see a phrase in her book that I picked up, and I have tried so hard to get rid of it. Because sometimes they're a good influence, and sometimes they're a terrible, no good, bad influence. And Nora, J.D. Robb, likes her characters to huff out of breath. And I want you to know I must have used that phrase 500 times in what might have been. And it's all J.D. Robb's fault. Those characters huff and puff more in what might have been than in any other series I've ever written. My characters got really huffy. <laughs> and it's all J.D. Robb's fault. I'm just <laughs> just putting that out there for you guys. So sometimes you pick up these these bad habits from writers. And um, Nora Roberts' characters, they huff a lot. And apparently everybody in what might have been was kind of huffy too because it was just what I was reading at the time. And, you know, it just kind of, um, it it bleeds out onto you. It, it's, it's not, sometimes new writers worry about unintentional plagiarism. I'm going to tell you right now, there is no unintentional plagiarism. Words come together certain ways. Some words can only go together certain ways. So sometimes you're going to pick up phrases from other writers, and that's perfectly okay. It's not okay to pick up whole paragraphs from a writer. (laughs) That's plagiarism, and you can't do that by accident. You really can't. So don't worry about plagiarism and adverbs. Don't worry about adverbs. I know Stephen King doesn't like adverbs. I know, I know, it's a tragedy. Oh, God, how dare you use an adverb? Um, But it's okay. It's okay to use an adverb. It's not okay to use 20 on a single page. But that has more to do with repetition then it has to do with the use of adverbs. All adverbs end with an L-Y, and if you have L-Y, L-Y, L-Y over and over again on the same paragraph, it's going to drag your reader out of your work. And it's also going to, um, you, a lot of adverbs, I mean, I, I use adverbs, but a, there's a lot of adverb usage that is um, telling versus showing. So instead of showing and that someone is angry, yeah. So instead of showing that somebody's angry, you say they said it angrily. Well, you could you could show that. Um, so some isn't isn't necessary. But I mean, saying you can't use adverbs. I read an article that said that you should never use a dialogue tag other than asked or said. I think because that's stupid. There's the, because the words are unobtrusive and they don't draw the reader's attention. Well, I'm sorry. I want to know if something was whispered or murmured or yelled or I mean, to I me those agree. are important descriptor words. And to say never use them. So, you know, take what you read online with a pound of salt, because these are all people's opinions. Just like what's happened. Just you know, it's like when I babble about what I think about writing. I, it's my opinion. Right. Write what you want. Do your damn thing. To show somebody doing something angrily, instead of saying, he said, don't do that, Rodney said angrily. He could do this. Don't do that. 
period, end quote, Rodney threw whatever he had in his hand away. Just, And that demonstrates anger without giving anger. You know what I mean? You can demonstrate mm-hmm. anger through body posture, through body movement. Um, a lot of times you can't get around using an adverb, and it's okay to use one. It's just really distracting to use one repeatedly. And it comes back to readability. Um, and I think readability should be a goal not because it makes a reader happy, but because it makes you a better writer. Yep. And if you're new, and the only way you can think of to get your story out and not spend three days agonizing over 500 words, although you should take as many much time as you want for that 500 words, but if you're agonizing over it because somebody's told you not to use adverbs, use the fucking adverbs. You know, my move first, on. Yeah, just do it. Get it out there, because you're not going to learn if you're stuck on wordsmithing your first 500 words. The only way you learn is by doing as a writer. Exactly. You you learn through doing. You can read 500 craft books a year, but you won't learn, you won't grow as a writer unless you're writing and reading. And reading is part of it. If you're, um, I, I read several hours a day just because I think it's part of my job as a writer to do so. Because, like Stephen King says, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Exactly. That is one thing we agree on, even if me and Stephen aren't seeing eye-to-eye on the adverb thing. Because sometimes you just got to use one and move on. But you can but always read edit it later. Yourself. Yes, do. Please do. Read other people. Expand your horizons. Don't read E.L. James. <laughs> That's actually a good point. I'm not trying to bash Fifty Shades of Grey. I, de- I dedicated a whole podcast to that. Um, but what I would say is, um, as much as we all enjoy reading bad fic, and it's a guilty pleasure, but you know you do it, um, sometimes you need to read really good stuff. And it's not about entertainment. It's about exposing yourself to someone who's really good at their craft, and I don't mean their grammar. I mean their characters, their plotting, their world building, their structure. And you and if you sometimes you don't even see their structure like on a on a conscious level, but unconsciously that entire story is being laid out in your head for you, and and you see it. You just don't know you're seeing it. So you need to expose yourself to really good writers. Because that will teach you more than 30 books on how to write a novel or the entire Chicago Style Manual or whatever. You'll learn more from a really good writer than you will learn from anybody else or anything else. I agree. So I say just crank it out, write something, and when you've got it written and you are – you know, at some point you can go back and wordsmith it, or you know, I revisit some of my really early writing every once in a while to see if how I, how or if at first it was like have I evolved, 
And then I go back and read some of my, you know, original stories, and I go, holy crap. <laughs> and I'm well, I'm, not thinking. Very, I, I'm very critical of some of those early works, but, you know, there's a little bit of horror. It's like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, if I hadn't I, done that, yeah, I if I hadn't shown my ass. in college that talked like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, you had, if I hadn't shown my ass, I wouldn't be better now. I would still be, right. you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, show someone being angry <laughs> as opposed to just dealing with the adverbs until I could learn better, you know. So just do it. And if you've got an idea and you think that this is your um, what you want to write, write it. It doesn't matter if it's a pairing no one's ever heard of. Do it. It doesn't matter if it's... If you want, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to say this. If you want to write a Mary Sue, you fucking write a Mary Sue. You put a goddamn label on it, Mary Sue, and move the fuck on. And don't let anybody Amen. tell you you can't. So you write yourself a fucking Mary Sue if you want to. That is actually my biggest pet peeve in fandom, and I didn't even know it. And it goes back to the original female character and um, them trying to browbeat authors into not writing original female characters. Um, or even at some to some point, original male characters. They didn't want their fandoms invaded by original characters. Um, well, fuck that, and fuck them. And so, if you want to write a Mary Sue or a Mary Stew or whatever you ever ever, ever how you want to call it, what was it, Harry Stew, uh, a Marty Sue, whatever Harry Stew. you write, what you Marty Stew or Mary Sue, whatever you want to write, you write yourself an original character and tell them to kiss my ass. And put a put a tag on it. Mary Sue, go fuck yourself. <laughs> just write this put it out there. Just put See, it that's out why. there. That's why. That's our thing. I, I, I get so tired of that. I get so tired of that. That that whole Mary Sue argument. Um, yes, you you do need to give your characters some depth and some. Um, the best way to do that is to give them failings. But it isn't mm-hmm. the only way to do that, you know. Um, that's just one of the ways to do that. And it's a crutch. It is a crutch to always depend on giving your character a flaw to make them seem more real. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let's be real. In, 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 in fandom, like, in terms of the way he's written in stories, in fan fiction... Harry Potter is the biggest Mary Sue of all time. I mean, he's the most idealized yeah, character. Well, you know, honestly, he's kind of Mary Sue in the in the story in the series too. Yeah. So, and we and we love him. You know, we we can't get enough. Um, so clearly, heavily, um, uh, you know, overly idealized characters can work for us. Um, but I, you know, in general. Uh, and I admit that sometimes Harry is written so idealized that I find it kind of teeth grinding, but that's my preference, and I don't have to read it. <laughs> I would never go Candy. to the writer and say, <laughs> "I would never go would to the writer." Would you please make Harry less perfect? <laughs> he is so annoyingly super. Could you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I kind of like Super Harry. I do. I do too. <laughs> I mean, it, it works. It, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't read it so much if it didn't work. But so clearly, you can have, um, un, you know, practically flawless characters that people will love. Uh, it just takes time and practice, and 
Um, but generally, I agree with you that you know you want your characters to be better balanced than than that. But if you want to do oh, a full you know, like, actually, there's something in the chat room I, uh, I want to address. Um, Hell, Kara, I get pissed off when I read you've paired Evan and TTB with an OC, and then I realize that Matt was a Marty Sue. I don't actually consider Matt a Marty Sue. Yes, he's an original character, but he's a vain asshole. I mean, I love Matt Shepard. He's he's my favorite character to write as an original character, but he's not perfect. He's vain. Mm-hmm. He's um, standoffish. He's a, typical, he's, he's a typical youngest child, too. Yeah, he's the baby of the family. He likes to get what he wants. He throws temper tantrums when he doesn't. So by no means is he perfect, which is what a Marty Sue would be, perfect in every single way, which is like Mary Poppins, which is probably where Mary Sue comes from, now that I think about it. It's practically perfect in every way. But no, I don't consider Matt a Marty Sue, because uh, he's an asshole. Have I written a Marty Sue? Yes, I would say that I have, and that's probably Andy in Sentinels of Atlantis. Which is oh, yeah. the He's um, pretty perfect. Son. Yeah, yeah, he is pretty perfect. But he's just five years old, so five year olds can be perfect. I mean mm-hmm. you know. And their and their annoying perfection is cute, you know. If they were ten years older, they'd be like, "Oh, oh, you please. little asshole!" <laughs> Eventually, that that perfection will turn into assholery because he is a shepherd. Um, but original Tempest said, "I was to interject the author into the story is a rather direct way." No, um, that's they a self-insert, it's not, not a Mary a- Sue. People often is it? confuse. No, no, they're not the same. People, there is some overlap because um, a lot of people idealize themselves. So, but I think that there was a there was a a, a big thing in fandom where it's like people were confusing Mary Sue's with self inserts, and they're they're mm-hmm. really not the same thing because I I insert myself into my stories all the time. Some of the worst quirks my characters have are all me. <laughs> I know, right? And I can yeah. Although I do, I, I, tend, write- I tend to. Rodney is probably my self-insert because I every snarky, bitchy thing he says has come out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie; I mean, it'd be pretty hard to lie considering you guys see me on my podcast all the time <laughs> talking shit. <laughs> He's smarter than me, a little bit. <laughs> it's a little bit smarter than me. I don't actually know any physics, but um, it. I think that um, here's the difference between a self-insert and a Mary Sue. Harry Potter is a Mary Sue. Ginny Weasley is a self-insert. <laughs> yeah. I want to marry the main character, so I'm going to put myself in the book. It, could it be any more obvious? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, Super Jenny is a self-insert. Suddenly she mm-hmm. was beautiful and magically powerful, and she got the guy in the end, and she never did a fucking thing to deserve the guy. Didn't even know. I mean, barely knew his name. I thought he grew up in a castle. What? I'm just saying. 
This isn't a Ginny Weasley bashing show, but I'm just saying that's the difference. Harry Potter's and Mary Sue, and Ginny's a self-insert. And some some people do write their self-insert as a Mary Sue, you know. But, you know, most people truly are not that perfect. <laughs> because Bella in Twilight is a Mary Sue. Yeah, and if somebody told me um, the idealized character was there... Yeah, what their idealized character was the self insert. I might call bullshit on that, but you know, but you know, but you know, but I, you know, write what you want. If you want to do that, go for it. You own you know? it. Exactly. Own it. This is you. Can, you you name that OC and say this is all me. I personally wouldn't because I don't want any of you knowing that much about me. <laughs> Oh, but that's the thing, you know, that, that when you put yourself out there as a writer, um, your readers know more about you than they could possibly ever realize. Very true. They know you. They know your political leanings. They know your sexual fetishes. They know um, what turns you off, what turns you on, what makes you mad, what makes you happy. They know all those things because all those things are in your work, whether you want them to be or not. Mm-hmm. They, they oh. know your politics. Although sometimes people do interpret what is in your story as a character choice as being your personal view. I've gotten taken to task for some of the things I've had, you know, a character say. It's like, I wouldn't have expected, you know, you to be a misogynist. I'm like, excuse me? You do realize that, you know... That's a character, right? Not all of my characters are going to be, you know, feminists. I I am, but, you know, it, it just... It, the characters would all ring really one-dimensional if they all had all the exact same political leanings and social views. So, But where your viewpoint would come into that situation is when you're writing a character who is a misogynist, how your other characters respond to that character is about you. Mm-hmm. Because if Definitely. you look at Ties That Bind, Jordan represents practically everything I hate. And how the other characters in the story respond to him is my response to him. I once wrote a line in what might have been where Sebastian um, saw a headline about himself and about it was in the store and he was in the headline questioned his safety in the company of a gay couple. And he turns to his father and says, apparently they think I would be happier living in a hovel in Nebraska with a straight couple or something to that effect, right? Mm-hmm. Not three days after I posted, someone, a, write, a, a reader sent me an email telling me that Nebraska doesn't have, isn't full of hovels. <laughs> That wasn't my opinion. That was the opinion of a nine-year-old from California who probably wouldn't know where Nebraska was if he wasn't a genius. It would be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> that would be the definition of Nebraska. And you didn't make a uh, an all-encompassing declarative statement that Nebraska is full of nothing but hovels. You said... Right. A, and I'm sure there's at least one. (laughs) I'm sure there's one, too. Sebastian certainly thought so. But sometimes your characters say and do things that that your readers will project onto you, and that's why my fan lore... 
profile says I'm um that I was once accused of misogyny because I used uh the canon portrayal of Theric in Tangled Destinies to when you meet Sarek in Star Trek, you you, you meet Sarah. Um, um, you meet Sarek and uh, Amanda in the original series, and she has not spoken to her grown son in decades because Sarek got mad at Spock. This is the first time she's seen her only child because Sarek got pissed with him. That's that, that's. But bare bones right there. So Sarek controlled what his wife did on a regular basis, and that's canon. So when I had Sarek move his entire family to Earth without discussing it with Amanda, that made me a misogynist. That was the thing? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. And I found this out because I was on a SGA site and someone was asking for Sentinel crossovers. And, of course, someone brings up Sentinels of Atlantis. And it usually comes up if people are looking for crossovers in Stargate because it's pretty big and um, people are aware of it. And um, uh, so someone recommended Sentinels of Atlantis, and I was going to respond and thank them for the wreck. And then right below that, there was a comment that said, you should be careful with this writer because she's a misogynist. And then she said, I read the first half of um, her Star Trek series, the the first episode, um, and she's a misogynist. So they had not even read the entire first episode of that series, and they labeled me a misogynist. That's my canon portrayal of Sarek. Of all the writers that I've ever read, <laughs> to label you a misogynist, I just find that to be... Oh wow! And they call you a, Especially a big name fan too. I just looked. Yeah, it up. they do. It's ridiculous. Um. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um. I've never petitioned to have that edited or anything because I, I don't care. I mean, I, I care, but I don't. It's it, it's insulting to be called a misogynist, and that's the part I care about. I don't actually care about my profile on fan lore. Um. But yeah, that's why I was called a misogynist because, and really, that's amazing because if it was going to be for anything, it should be for ties that bind for the way I treat Sam's character because because Tangled Destinies is actually practically a love letter to Amanda Grayson. Every man in the story loves her. They're all invested in making her happy. They show up to eat at her house because she wants them to, and they eat shit she wouldn't that they wouldn't eat for anybody else, but they eat it for her because that's what she wants, and it makes her happy. So <laughs> that's everybody, not just her husband. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fandom for you right there. We're down to forty-five seconds. Um, everybody have a good week, 
And um, thank you, Julie, for joining me this evening for a conversation. I truly appreciate it. My pleasure. I had fun. Um, You guys, yes. (laughs) And informative, I hope. You guys, be good or don't get caught. And remember, there's always time for lubrication. No ass to mouth. And no ass to mouth. (laughs) Shut up and sit down. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Napa know-how. Right now at Napa, grab a five-quart jug of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil for just $28.99. It keeps out harmful sludge to help reduce wear on your engine, which is important if you like cars that, you know, run smoothly. So keep your engine healthy with Mobile One. Now just $28.99. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 531.19.